Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I paid the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Hello and welcome on into another edition of Fizz 5. Today is Tuesday, September 26th. It's a beautiful fall day in Syracuse. My name is Ethan Frank. Joined for the first time in about a month. It's been a little while by Liam Griffin, my usual Fizz 5 partner. Liam, how are you? I'm great, man. You know, it's obviously a big week on campus. Clemson week. A lot of storylines that I set going into it. Not just on the gridiron, too. No, there, there's a lot going on here here on the Hill in central New York, and, and let's get right into it. Number one. Starting with Syracuse's fourth straight win to open the season, 29-16 to 16 over Army. I was in the Dome. I saw how everything played out. You weren't in the Dome, Liam, but you had a close eye on, on how things were going. What was your biggest takeaway from, from Syracuse's fourth straight win to start the year? Well, obviously, it was a victory, and... You know, the classic saying, a win is a win. But to be honest, Ethan, this game left a lot more worry for me than it did hope for the future. Here's why. We saw the same mistakes come back to haunt Syracuse again. You know, run defense was a big issue last year. To say it was a big issue, particularly in the first quarter against the Black Knights, is a massive understatement. And this team has kind of started to build a reputation for starting slow this year. Colgate, no offensive rhythm on the first drive. Western Michigan, that 75-yard touchdown. Purdue, almost falling behind before a late strip sack on Hudson Card. And now you allow a nine-and-a-half-minute drive right out of the chute to open up the game. You knew exactly what was coming. Army converted multiple fourth downs on that possession, unless I'm mistaken. You knew exactly what was coming. You knew it was going to be grounded pound up the middle. And you did nothing to stop it. Yeah, the final score ended up looking pretty good after you finally adjusted. But this game leaves me worried, Ethan, for those reasons in particular. Well, to counter your point about stopping the run, it's hard when a team carries the ball 46 times. uh, And there are 46 designed handoffs um, compared to only 25 you know, actually called passes. And a lot of those were because Army was trailing by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. So I, I say, you know, when you know a team is only going to run, it's a little difficult to, you know, stop it at times because even though you know what's coming, that is what that army does really, really well. That is what their bread and butter is. That is what their their players' skill sets are tailored to is, is run offense. So no matter how good your run defense is, I still think you're going to surrender, you know, chunk plays to army in the run game every now and then. And to your starting slow point. Yes, that was, that was an issue. Allowing a nearly 10 minute opening drive was an issue, but I was so impressed with how this team came out of the locker room and dictated the tempo dictated the tone of the second half. Garrett Trader so efficient 21 of 26 for 245 yards also rushed for another 50 LaQuinn Allen rushing for over a hundred yards and then Damian Alford's career day of nine catches for 135 yards that was the big three on offense and I was really impressed with how the three of them owned the second half of this game uh, uh from an offensive perspective yeah and allow me to flip things back to the defensive side of the ball yeah for as much as we harped on the slow start when it came to stopping the run part of it was due to coaching ineptitude from army I mean you have a running back Buchanan that's six feet, 255 pounds, 
a similar build to Jerome Bettis, and we all know how big of a beast he was back when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They all but limited his touches in the second half. Now, if you're an Orange fan, you're certainly not complaining, but credit to the offense for putting the defense in a position to succeed come the second half, forcing the Black Knights to frankly play what isn't their game, having to drop back and pass time and time again. Bryson Daly is Army's best passing quarterback over the last few years. That's still not his mo. And no, he was he was sorry to interrupt. He was bad. I mean, he was straight up bad. He was besides that. If you take that touchdown off the board, what was that? A uh, eighty an eighty yard score. Right, an eighty yard. If you take an eighty yard touchdown off the board, Bryson Daly was eight for twenty for sixty five yards and two interceptions, sacked four times. Yeah. Like th- those are pretty bad numbers. Oh, those are pretty bad numbers and numbers you to be honest, probably won't see another quarterback put up when it plays Syracuse again because now you're getting to the murderer's row. Not to jump ahead, but it's a good message to send from the offensive side of the ball. The offense can't – I feel like for this team in particular, the offense is best set up to put the defense in a position to succeed rather than the other way around. And I think we saw that sort of – crumble on itself last year during that one and six stretch offensive ineptitude kind of led to the defense struggling and as we enter Clemson we'll preview that game in a little bit I mean the pieces are starting to come together for it to fall in that way we, we we'll see what happens on the defensive side for Syracuse played really well in the second half besides that busted coverage that led to the touchdown is there someone on the defensive side through four games Liam that you you've keyed in on and and realized let's I'll eliminate Marlowe Wax from this because I think he's an easy answer but I've been like I've been so impressed with this guy and how he's played through four games yeah I do have I actually have two guys in mind uh my B choice would be Kayvon Darton just to throw it out there but my the guy I'm really leaning in on is Jeremiah Wilson you know we saw him play over stretches last season Looked decent, but not great. This year, he is a much better in pass coverage, has had that pick six against Colgate week one. But what's impressed me the most, Ethan, isn't necessarily his pass coverage. It's his ability to make tackles in the open field. You know, say a receiver makes a catch five, six yards downfield. Jeremiah Wilson is an excellent tackler. He has the fundamental football that, frankly, Syracuse lacked down the stretch last season. You tackle low, Wilson has done that multiple times this season. So, He's the guy that has really struck, stuck out to me as someone who has really raced his game from a year ago. And then also playing opposite Isaiah Johnson, who, you know, is is a very, a different kind of cornerback because of his height at 6'3", that Jeremiah Wilson's going to get a lot of targets as the shorter quarterback, as the more inexperienced cornerback, and he has more than held his own through a few weeks. Obviously, he will have much tougher tests coming up over the next few games. But to this point, I, I agree with you, especially tackling, you know, on on some of these screens teams are running. He's been really stout in that aspect. And then in the running game as well, putting his head down and, and making a play. Another Since you kind of stole Jeremiah Wilson from me a little bit, allow me to bring up another guy. How about Elijah Clark? The I, didn't man who was steal, I didn't mean to steal from you. I was agreeing with you. Oh, no, you're all, you're all good. Were you going to bring up another guy? No, I wasn't. Okay. I do want to give a quick shout out okay. to Elijah Clark, though. That open field tackle and punt coverage, fantastic. All right. There's your Elijah Clark shout out. Uh, so good things happening for Syracuse all around the field, but that doesn't mean there isn't some bad news as well. Number two. Isaiah Jones is going to miss a, a significant amount of time. Dino Baber said after the 
uh, Army game on Saturday with an injury. Not sure the what the injury is or the extent of it, but this is another weapon in the Orange passing game, Liam. That is that is out along with Ronde Gadsden. That leaves Damian Alford, Yumari Hatcher, Donovan Brown, really as the only guys that that you're trusting in the passing game right now. And no idea what Trevor Pena's status is. He hasn't been on the depth chart all season. Some. Uh, just out of nowhere kind of makes an appearance in week four against army still isn't on the depth chart entering week five. And Dino Baber says he doesn't know what his role is. So what do you make of the injury and what Syracuse's options are because of it? Yeah. Deja vu by Olivia Rodriguez has popped into my head regarding Isaiah Jones for multiple reasons. One, because how crazy is it that the game he gets injured in, in consecutive seasons happens to be Purdue. So there's that. And B Gazden pegged Isaiah Jones as a potential breakout candidate at the ACC kickoff a few months ago. So you were already down your one in Gadsden. Was Jones setting himself up to be the two? I'm not declaring yes or no. I'm not declaring yes or no, but that is one of your top options gone for the foreseeable future. So two players that you had circled on the roster and were like, yeah, these are two guys that are going to make plays for the Orange this year done for the foreseeable future, one definitively done per season. So now you're starting to count on Damian Alford, Jumari Hatcher, among others, to step up. To his to his credit, Alford was fantastic the other night. Nine catches, over 130 yards, didn't quite find the end zone, but he had the breakout game. We were all begging, longing to see out of Damian Alford, really ever since he caught that touchdown against Virginia Tech two years ago to walk off that game. So you saw the flashes, but as the schedule gets tougher, Clemson this weekend is a good stepping stone to be like, is this receiving core going to be okay in a game where Garrett Trader doesn't run 25 times or in a game where Damian Alford doesn't go for 100 yards or in a game where you're facing a power five foe? Right. And I think the onus is going to be on other guys to step up. Those three receivers are going to be counted on, but it's on LaQuinn Allen to make plays in the passing game. And then I think it's Dan Valari at, at tight end uh, had one catch in, in the army game for 11 yards. I need to see something from Dan Valari. He, he's been in the backfield blocking a lot, uh, both run blocking and pass blocking. I want to see what he can do in the open field, get him out in the flat, uh, maybe a little play action uh, sprint out. Uh, sprint out right or left from Garrett Schrader um, and see, let's see what Dan Valari can do in the open field, but it's going to be on Schrader finding other targets besides Alford because he's going to be the guy that's keyed in on now. And there was a good story on Syracuse.com today about Alford potentially playing more in the slot because that's what Syracuse likes to do with its biggest and best weapons. It's why Aronde Gadsden was so successful last year because he dominated linebackers and safeties in the slot. So, if teams are keying in on Alford, you saw Army start to double team and bracket him in the in the fourth quarter last week. These other guys outside of Brown and Hatcher are going to have to step up because Garrett Trader will need escape options that aren't him running for his life in circles around the backfield. Yeah, I'll build off your point about Valari to start. You know, when he came over from Michigan, he was heralded as this unfinished project, Taysom Hill 2.0 as his alum John Eads dubbed him and to be honest, he's been really for the entirety of his SU career uh, blocking tight end and not much else. Yeah, he's got three catches this year. He had one last year. So he hasn't been exactly what I would call a weapon in the passing game and focusing in on the tight end position a little more. Do you get Max Mang involved? Also, primarily no. primarily a blocking tight end, no. but for one catch a game. Is is that what is if that, Max Mang yeah. is able? But he he is a blocking tight end. He's nothing more true. than that. He's this nothing more true. than I mean, that. 
This is true. But if, if you want to run an out route just a few yards downfield once or twice a quarter or once or twice a game, let's be honest, I wouldn't be opposed. But I think the guys – I think for as much attention as Alford, Brown, and Hatcher get, it's going to come from the unexpected guys. You know, can your guy Kendall Long step up and – That is my guy. I, I mean, Kendall Long appeared on the depth chart this week. This That's when you know Syracuse, one, is dealing with injury issues. But – I mean, Kendall Long appeared on the depth chart this week. That's something to monitor. Absolutely. Can he start to carve out a role? Can another unsung guy like Daryl Gill Jr., who had a touchdown in the Colgate game, are we going to start to see more of him? But the guy that really needs to step up, Ethan, is LaQuint Dallin. Going into the season, everyone was going to was saying that he was going to be more of a pass-catching threat than Sean Tucker based off of his performance in the pinstripe goal. Granted, one game – one fairly meaningless game, albeit a cool meaningless game, that you can't really take a lot of stock out of. But he's got that agility and open field speed and elusiveness to make make catches in the seam and get a burst of steam for, for 10, 15 yards time and time again. And we haven't seen that this year in the passing game out of LaQuint Allen. So he did he have six catches up. against Purdue. He did have six catches against Purdue. But other than that, haven't seen a whole lot. So I think what I'm asking for with LaQuint Allen, a little more consistency. All right. We want to see it out of LaQuint Allen. We want to see it. What can the Syracuse wide receivers do and tight ends? And what can the Syracuse weapons around Garrett Schrader do now without two of what their top four options coming into the season in Isaiah Jones and Aronde Getson. All right, let's move on to some basketball. Number three. Adrian Autry and company hosting some big time recruits this weekend on campus for the Clemson game, including 2024 commit Donnie Freeman, one of the top 30 players in the class, according to 24 seven sports, Liam, who else is coming to campus and, and what excites you about it? Yeah, we got two other guys, Derek Dixon, a six, three guard out of Washington, DC, who plays at Gonzaga college high school, the same school Judah Mintz went to before he went to his senior season at Oak Hill Academy. And then Matt Gilhul, a power forward, from Pennsylvania, who participated in SU's elite camp back in August. He's rated number 69 in the class of 2025 by 24-7. Dixon, number 73 in the class of 2025. So the first thing I want to point out, Ethan, is that this is the perfect weekend, really throughout the entirety of the school year, to bring these recruits up. And here's why. Clemson football. Probably the biggest opponent out of the two major money-making sports, football and men's basketball, Syracuse is going to bring in this year. Duke isn't coming to the Dome come basketball season. North Carolina is, but I'm sorry. Clemson football probably carries a bigger brand than North Carolina basketball, not by much, but just by hair these days. So this is the time when you can show these guys the Syracuse experience. You know, the Loud House is unlike any other environment. So I'm going to call on, Otto's Army to actually have a full student section this week and Central New York residents to come out and support the team, show these guys what this region is all about to reaffirm Freeman's decision and play an advocate, for the lack of a better word, to both Dixon and Gilhul to sort of spearhead this class of 2025 that hasn't we haven't talked a whole lot about yet with the exception of Kai and Anthony. You mentioned Kyanth, and he's someone I was going to want to bring up as well. Uh, Tyler Jackson, a top 20 player in the class of 2025, said he's going to come visit Syracuse at some point soon 
with Kai and Anthony, the two of them together, Mike Waters quote tweeting that said would be wild to see them here on the same weekend. So that would be two very high class players. We talked a lot about the class of 2024. Uh, you had Jaleel Bethay was a player Syracuse had been recruiting for a while. He ended up going to Miami, uh, likely getting a lot of money to do so. Um, but the class of 2024 is kind of quieted down for Syracuse. You look at the roster, it's still a lot of underclassmen, a lot of guys with a lot of eligibility remaining, which makes sense considering you, know, you have a couple recruits and then you're going to hit the portal, you know, to fill your remaining needs. And then the class of 2025 is really kind of Autry's first class. It feels like where he's in on the ground floor with these players. Beheim was in on Elijah Moore and Donnie Freeman. He, he, Elijah Moore committed to Syracuse while Beheim was still the coach. Um, so th- there there is Beheim tendency or there's Beheim, you know, history there. There's not really Beheim history with the class of 2025. And I think that bodes well for Autry because you see more players interested in visiting. And a lot of these guys, you know, maybe you're not going for those top 10 or 15 recruits in the country, but if you're, you know, developing a really solid base and players from like 20 to 75. That's a, a really good place to be. Um, and, you know, it's about quality and quantity. And you find both in, in that range in the top 100 recruits in the country. Yeah, exactly. For all the talk of Syracuse not making a true power play in recruiting these days, not getting that state-of-the-art five-star recruit that's going to completely reshape the program, I think you saying quality and quantity mixed together kind of encompasses the strategy that, SU should move forward with. I mean, and I also don't think it's a terribly big surprise that Dixon is being heavily recruited by Syracuse based off of where he's from, Washington, D.C., an area that Syracuse has lots and lots of ties to. And the more and more you continue to dip into that well, which has paid off in years past and would be hard, you'd be hard pressed to say it won't continue to pay off in the future, the more and more successful this program will be down the line. I also think it's it's interesting because the football schedule is built in a way in which Syracuse could have had recruits on campus this month, and then you basically aren't probably going to have them on campus the entire month of October because there's no home football games in the month of October. So Boston College on Friday, November 3rd is the next time Syracuse would have a recruit on campus, and that's four day, three days before the start of the Orange's regular season uh, on a Monday night in the Dome against, I want to say, New Hampshire. Yep. Uh, yep. Is that correct? Okay. It is correct. Uh, it is correct. I wasn't sure if that was correct or not, but thank you for your confirmation. Um, So, like, it's hard to bring guys up, and, and this is a prime weekend, too. Um, So I would say that BC game is another weekend you'd have guys up, but there'll be a lot of focus on getting ready for the season if you're Adrian Autry and his assistant coaches. So glad to see they're they're getting guys up for this weekend. Yeah, and to build off that, it's not as if, not to throw shade at the boys from Durham, New Hampshire, but the Wildcats aren't exactly a marquee opponent. Clemson football is, you know. And I saw on YouTube sometime last night, both Felicia Legetjak and Adrian Autry were put promo videos on YouTube trying to rally the Central New York community to get to this game, really, really make the Loud House rock. It feels like it doesn't feel like we haven't had a true game where the loud house has been rocking yet. Granted, part of that is due to the fact that you haven't hosted a power five school yet, but now's the time for you to really make some noise. And speaking of making noise, that brings us uh, right into what we're moving on to talk about next uh, is uh, going, going back to football. I want to, and, and talking nationally a little bit here. Number four. Syracuse is four. and zero. 
Uh, if you look at the the AP poll, Syracuse uh, is in the receiving votes column. I'm going to do some quick math right here. So the AP poll is 25. Syracuse would be 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33. The 34th ranked team in the country if the uh, if the rankings went that that far. Um, Liam, do you think that's fair? Do you think Syracuse deserves more national recognition for how they played so far this season? I mean, yeah, they're, they moved up a few spots after the Army win, if any, but I know a lot of people were wondering, yeah, if Syracuse beats Army, it should be ranked. And our, tail, our, our Tyler Aiken wrote a very good article, and you can check it out at theorangefizz.com and at OrangeFizz on Twitter, about Syracuse shouldn't even be ranked even if it beats Clemson. Ethan, I'm not going to lie to you. I think that's pretty fair. You know, you've beaten Colgate. Well, it, depends on, it depends on if teams lose ahead of you. This is true. But you've beaten Colgate, an FCS school, whoop-de-doo. You beat Western Michigan 48 to 7, a Mac school, not exactly top tier. You beat a Big Ten team on the road. That's an impressive win, but Purdue is a bottom tier Big Ten team, to be frank. And then you beat Army in a game that, to be honest, left a lot of questions and not many of them were answered. So I don't think Syracuse's position is really up for debate because I don't think they are top 25 caliber yet. I think right on the outside looking in, is perfect the way it is. If Syracuse absolutely demolishes Clemson, then you can make a case for it to be in the top 25. But if it's a close win or a loss, then I think you have them right where they deserve to be. Yeah, I, I, I'm with that. Uh, it, you're looking at teams ahead of them. Kansas plays Texas this week, who's ranked 20, Kansas ranked 24th. I would imagine if Texas wins that game, Kansas probably is the game falls. In, is the game in Austin or is the game in Lawrence? The game is in Austin. I would imagine they, yeah. they would still fall outside the, the top 25. Yeah. You look at a team like Louisville, who's ahead of Syracuse, they play at NC State. So if Louisville wins that game, then Louisville, that's probably more. Eh, I don't know if beating NC State on the road is a more impressive win than beating Clemson at home. Um, that's kind of an, a big indictment of where that's Clemson a, is right now. That's but, a toss move. Um, Kansas State's ahead of you. Kentucky's ahead of you, who plays Florida, who's ranked 22nd. So, probably one of those two teams will at least still be ahead of you. And then you got the Maryland's, UCLA's, Colorado's, TCU's of the world. Colorado, I would imagine, will probably lose to USC. And then if you win, you jump Colorado. Um, probably, but you know, there are there, there are teams to jump. Um, and it, you got to just be focused on winning. I understand wanting to have national respect. Um, I saw some interesting tweets from uh, Tom Fernelli, who is let me let me pull him up. Um, while you Tom, while you pull him up, Ethan, I'll say this: Marlo Wax after the Army game said something along the lines of, "We can't let the media, all this guru, for the lack of a better word, get into our heads. We just need to stay level-headed and play football to the best of our ability. It's about the Ohana. It's not about the outside. And yeah, it would be cool to have a number in front of your name, but I can't. That's the perfect attitude to take." Yeah, uh, Tom Fernelli tweeted, uh, there are nine unbeaten and unranked teams in uh, in the FBS. He said he thinks Syracuse is the best. Head of Maryland, head of Louisville, head of Kentucky. Um, so that's, I mean, huge, huge for Dino Babers, huge, huge that for is- Orange fans. Uh, but there's kind of the national recognition you're talking about, Tom Fernelli, uh, who covers college football for CBS Sports. For context, like that's a national name, giving Syracuse some props. Syracuse also, we noted, is one of only, I think, six schools to uh, win every game and also cover the, sp- sorry, five undefeated straight up and against the spread. Syracuse, 
Liberty, Penn State, Oklahoma, and Oregon. That's not bad. Yeah. While talking about national respect, it's relevant since NACC school got it this week. Syracuse now one of six power five schools to have power five cities to have never gotten college game day. If you want the national attention you seek, you go get a win Saturday, plain and simple. Yeah. And that brings us perfectly into our, into our final topic of the day. Number five, Syracuse and Clemson noon on Saturday kickoff. We'll have full coverage. Liam will be in the dome. Um, and he'll have your full coverage on our Twitter at Orange Fizz, Twitter Spaces post game, a post game recap as well. Um, and we'll have content every day this week leading up to the to the big game at theorangefizz.com. What what are you looking for in this matchup, Liam? The saying that has really taken Central New York by storm every time this game has come around over the past few years. Dino knows Dabo. Even when the talent disparity was quite large, I look at the 2020 game when Syracuse went 1-10 and and Clemson went to the college football playoff. It was a one-score game in the middle of the third quarter. Syracuse had the ball looking to take the lead until Rex Culpepper got strip-sacked and it was returned for a touchdown. So even when you have one of the worst Syracuse teams in recent memory and one of the better Clemson teams with Trevor Lawrence under center, Dino has still played Dabo closely. But... He has never been able to finish the deal since 2017. The past two years in particular have been excruciatingly painful ways to lose. I look at Andre Schmidt's field goal in 21 coming up way, way short following some very poor clock management. And obviously last year, you look at the Elijah Fuentes Cundiff late hit out of bounds that not only turned the game when Syracuse was up double digits, would have been a program-defining victory, it turned the season. So I look at this and think to myself, is it going to be another close game? And Ethan, to be frank, there's no reason it shouldn't be. There's no reason it shouldn't. Uh, Last I saw the line was Clemson favored by six and a half points, which I believe would be the first time that Syracuse has played Clemson and it hasn't been a double digit spread. So I'm going to double check that right now to see if I can find the updated line. But this should be a good game. I would be, I would honestly be very, still six and a half. I would honestly be very surprised if this was not a good game um, because Garrett Trader's playing that well um, and the Syracuse defense is playing that well that I, I still think the offensive line will have a little trouble with Clemson's defensive line and uh, Dabo Sweeney will have his defense ready to go, you know, ready for LaQuinn Allen and Damian Alford, Syracuse's two main weapons. It's just how good can Garrett Trader be? And if he can play as like he did against Purdue, then Syracuse has a chance to win this game. Clemson is definitely the more talented team. That's why they're a nearly touchdown road favorite. But Syracuse has a chance to win this game. And yeah, I would say, I, I would say it's it's probably if I had to peg it right now, I'd say Clemson probably wins this game six times out of ten. Six six, six and a half times out of ten. I think that's fair. So, but to your point about Garrett Trader, you know, this kind of stems from last season as well. This team will go as far as Garrett Trader takes it. When he was either off the field or playing hurt last year, it clearly showed in the product on the field, Ethan. And I think in addition to poor run defense, if you want to peg one reason why the Orange collapsed, you can look at Garrett Trader's health. That's how important he is to this team. So I'm not saying he should go running the ball 25 times. That's very unhealthy, and 
he looked miserable after the Purdue game when he did do that. But if he can run it 10, 15 times, I think that's a reasonable load to burden, as well as be an effective passer if that elbow looks good. He'll set the defense up to succeed. Kate Klubnik has not impressed many this year. Yes, Clemson's running game led by Will Shipley is electric. We saw him burn Syracuse last year on that big score towards the beginning of the fourth quarter. But if Schrader looks good, there is no reason Syracuse can't win. No reason. Um, You mentioned Klubnik. He hasn't been inspiring at all, especially against power conference teams. I would expect Rocky Long to send pressure at him and make him beat Syracuse down the field. Clemson doesn't have a dominant receiver like it has in the past, like a DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Williams, T Higgins, uh, Sammy Watkins, someone of that nature who is, you know, you're bona fide. Oh, this person's going to be really good in the NFL. Um, and all those guys have had successful NFL careers. Ooh, yeah. Clemson doesn't really have that receiver. They have a great running back tandem in Will Shipley and Phil Maffa, but I think the strategy has to be make Kate Klubnik beat you and send pressure at him. Um, and if he beats you down the field, he beats you down the field. But you have to play to stop the run, and you have to play to make Klubnik beat you. I mean, yes, Clemson's strength plays into Syracuse's weakness over the past few years, which is run defense. You cannot let that two-headed monster or running back beat you. It has to be Kate Klubnik. You're going to be beating yourself up after the game if it isn't. You're absolutely right, Liam. You mentioned Syracuse and Clemson at noon on Saturday. We'll have all our coverage, as I was mentioning, on theorangefizz.com and on X. And you will, get, uh, you will get predictions from Team Fizz this coming Friday. Yes, you will. Um, all right. Any final thoughts before we sign off on this edition of Fizz 5, Liam? Pack the dome on Saturday. Let's go. Syracuse, Clemson. It's hard to not be excited. Should be the best atmosphere in the Dome all of football season. All right. For Lean Griffin, I'm Ethan Frank. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of Fizz 5, and we'll catch you next week. Enjoy the Clemson game. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.